is a kind of a of a climax, a reapproachment of the of the family of of Yaakov, where it finally reaches the point of where it seems it's about to burst, and they effect a reapproachment, a reunification of the family. That which happens to the forefathers becomes a sign, a signpost to future generations as well. And therefore the theme of the, of the Haftorah is also a reapproachment between Yehuda and Yisrael. We know that, um, that the break between the family of Yaakov, Yosef and his brothers finds its mirror image in a national breakup in the time of the after the first base of English was built in fact not long after the first base of English was built upon the death of Shlomo HaMelech his son Rechavim takes over, becomes king and due to some foolish policies as well as the Nevoah that Hashem wanted it this way Yerovim ben Nevot breaks off the large chunk of the ten tribes from from Judea and therefore they have two kingdoms Israel and Yehuda and they never reunited they've never reunited and that's why we have the legend of the so-called ten tribes the lost ten tribes and until Mashiach comes which is really the theme of the Haftorah there is no reunification yet of Yosef as symbolized by um, Ephraim and Yosef the tribes of um, the ten kingdoms the ten tribes of the northern kingdom <coughs> under Yeruvim ben Nevot and the southern kingdom which was Yehuda and Yemen we refer to ourselves to this day as Jews so therefore in a very broad sense the theme of the Parsha of brothers coming back together again after such long sibling rivalry is really the theme of Kal Yisrael as a whole. And we'll see that this has probably been one of the major things that has plagued us all the years. The uh, the Medrash the says in a number of places Pasuk in Shir Hashirim. If you look in the top right, Mi Tencha Ochli. Oh, that you should be like my brother, Yonek Shdeimi, my sibling who who nurses and suckles from my mother's breast. In other words, very close brothers, brothers to the mother as well as the father. And Tzoacho Bachutz, I will come across you and find you as a long lost brother in the street <laughs> I will kiss you in public without shame two brothers come together after many years if there's a close relationship they come together, they embrace they kiss without any embarrassment you see someone and you don't think about people are watching, why are you kissing you meet someone in the street and the love is just so overwhelming that you grab them, you embrace them, you kiss them. The Medrash, the Medrash comments on it 
What do you mean like brothers? Sibling rivalry is as old as mankind itself. Take a look at the Tanchuma. Tanchuma brings down HaKadosh Baruch who says to Aaron Leich Likras Moshe Hamid Baruch after Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen as being leader of the Jewish people to go back to Paro Hashem tells Aaron go and meet Moshe in the desert meet them Chazal tell us that Moshe refused to take the mission the leadership position because he was afraid that he was infringing on his brother Aaron Aaron was previously his it was his elder brother he was previously the leader of Klal Yisrael and Moshe Rabbeinu was coming in out of the wilderness and taking over the leadership position and he felt he felt that he was infringing on his brother's leadership position and Hashem says Hashem says Halo Aaron achicho levi yodati ki daber yidaber hu v'gam hinehu yotzei likosecho He's coming to towards you to greet you. Veroacha, he will see you. Vesomach belibo, and he will be glad and rejoice in his heart upon meeting you, his brother that he hasn't seen for many, many years, many decades. And therefore, it says, it says in the, um, it says on page one thirty-five, top of the page. Moshe, go meet Moshe, Hamidbor in the wilderness. he met, he went, they met, in the mountain of Hashem, and he kissed him. Says the Medrash, this wasn't just a kiss. This was a kiss of cosmic proportions. And I'm just going to quote here part of this one medrash. It's in a few different places, slightly differently each each way. Daber, davracher lechli kras Moshe hamidbara. Zesh shomer akosav mi ten chok aochli. Oh, who would give you that you should be as my brother? Yisrael oimrin lufne akodesh baruch the Jews said to Hashem, What do you mean that we should be like brothers? What's so good about being brothers? We find sibling rivalry, hatred, jealousy, warfare between brothers has gone on since the beginning of time. Cain and Hevel, they were brothers. Cain hated Hevel. Cain killed Hevel. Ishmoel hated Yitzchak. As it says that Yitzchak, that rather that Ishmoel was Mitzachek, which means, as the Medrash brings down here, Mitzachik is a lotion of Shabikesh Lahorgo. Esau and Yaakov were brothers. Vayomer Esau belibo. Esau said in his heart that he planned on killing him. Vayistom Esau. Esau hated him. So there was hatred between Esau and Yaakov. The Shvatim, the Shvatim hated Yosef. Shenemar Vayistom Esau. They hated him. So what does it mean, be like a brother? Brothers hate each other. So there were two exceptions to this. This Medrash only elaborates on the motion, Aaron one. However, earlier I just have a brief, brief one from 
the Tartimim brings down, but it's from the Medesh Rabbah. Kain and Hevel, Yishmol, Yitzchok, Ache Yosef and Yosef hated each other. Which brothers were Yonek Shdei Imi? Which brothers were were united in brotherhood? Have Oimer, that's Yosef and Binyamin, She'oav Obelibo, as it says, Vayar, Yosef, Itomes, Binyamin. Yosef saw Binyamin with them, and he was overcome with love and with emotion. So therefore, the two brothers that are held out by the Medrashim as paradigms, as examples of brotherly love, is the meeting of Yosef and Binyamin in this week's Parsha, and the meeting of Moshe and Aaron. Regarding Moshe and Aaron, the Medrash says, Hinei matovu manoim sheves achim gam yochad. Behold how goodly it is when brothers live together in peace and harmony. When brothers live together and they love each other, it's a very beautiful and pleasant thing it is. And Moshe and Aaron were like that. They loved each other throughout their lives. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu now became the king, he took over the mantle of leadership. Aaron wasn't jealous. Even when Aaron received as a gift for all time, for all eternity, the kahuna, something which was a hereditary line, and Moshe Rabbeinu was not to receive such an equivalent thing for his children, Moshe Rabbeinu was not jealous. Neither of them were jealous over the greatness of the other. They didn't hate each other, but rather Moshe Rabbeinu was happy with Aaron's greatness for all time, for all his generations. Aaron was happy at Moshe's leadership. Each one could have had cause of jealousy for what the other received and what they didn't have, you know, the way most people are. We're always looking to what we don't have. Major cause of unhappiness is everybody's always focused not on what they have, everyone is focused on what they don't have. Moshe and Aaron had what to focus on what each of them didn't have. But rather they focused on the joy and the happiness of the other, what they did have. And therefore the Pasuk says that Hashem told Moshe, He will rejoice and be glad in his heart. It doesn't say he's only going to pretend to be happy, the Samach Betiv or the Samach, that he's going to act happy, but he's truly happy, the Samach Belibo. He's happy in his heart itself. Omar of Shimon Bar Yochoi Halev Shesameach Bigdulas Ochiv. For that reason, the heart of Aaron, that was genuinely glad and rejoiced over the greatness of Moshe, deserved to have the mantle of the Urim Vetumim on his heart at all times. The Choshen Mishpat, Vohoyu Alev Aaron. This heart that was so pure and is able to feel glad at the joy of his brother, at the greatness of his brother, is a heart that should always carry the Choshen Mishpat on his heart. And therefore, Leich Likras Moshe, that's the Posik, Mi Ten Chokoach Lik Moshe Aaron, and Tzohabachotz, I'll find you outside in the, here it refers to the, the desert, Vayif Kisheyu Baharol Kim, Vayishak Lo. The Medrash points out, the Posik says, 
Here we have Vayishayu Vayishaklo. They met and they kissed. There's a posik in Tilim Chesed Ve'emes Nivgoshu. Kindness and truth met. Tzedek Vishalom. Righteousness and peace. Noshaku kissed. Chesed, that's Aaron, as it says, Ulevi Omar Tumecho Burechol Ish Chasidecho. Aaron was known as the Ish Chesed, Ish Chasidecho, as the Torah refers to him. Emes, that's Moshe Rabbeinu, Bukhol Beisi Nemonu. He is trustworthy and trusted by Hashem throughout his, through the celestial regions. That's Chesed the Emes Nifgoshu. Chesed and Emes met, as it says, Vaif Kesheu, that Moshe and Aaron met. What does it mean, Vaif Kesheu, Moshe and Aaron met? That was a cosmic meeting of the two forces of Chesed the Emes Nifgoshu. And the Vaishaklo, the kiss of Moshe to Aaron, wasn't just a kiss, but it was the kiss of of Tzedek Vishalom the Shaku, the kiss of Tzedek and Shalom. Tzedek is Moshe, as it says, Sitkas Hashem Osa. Shalom is Aaron, as it says, Vishalom Mishor Holach, Iti, that Aaron is the Ish Shalom, as we know, he was an Olev Shalom, a Rodev Shalom. Aaron was the man of Shalom. And that's what the Postic says Tzedek Vishalom no Shaku, Tzedek and Shalom kissed. That's the Vaishak law of Moshe and Aaron. It wasn't just a chance meeting. It was a meeting that reverberates through all eternity. It's a, it's a meeting of, of Chesed and Emes, of Shalom, of Tzedek. It's a meeting of these cosmic forces that come together. <coughs> so there are siblings and there are siblings. And therefore the the Ache Yosef model of sibling rivalry which has its precedent already from Cain and Hevel, Ishmael, Yitzchak, Ace of Yaakov, the brothers to Yosef. But we say Ni Tenchok Ochli that we should try to effect a reapproachment between brothers like the Yomin and Yosef where there was true love between them, true brotherhood as well as Moshe and Aaron. Of course, the, um, as we see in the Haftorah, this was something which has not yet occurred amongst the Jewish people. It says only Lost and Lovell and Mashiach comes will be eight Yosef, the staff that represents Yosef, and the ten lost tribes come together with the eight Yehuda, with the kingdom of Yehuda. We have two Mashiachs, Mashiach from Yosef, Mashiach from David. We have two strands of leadership in Klal Yisrael. We have two aspects of kings. The Medrash refers to the to this great this great battle between Yehuda and Yosef, Vayigash Elov Yehuda. And Vayigash has both interpretations. Vayigash Vayigash according to the Medrash means he approached them to do battle. It was a battle between Yehuda and, Yisra- and Yosef. And the Medrash refers to it as kings battling each other out. The brothers were watching in awe and amazement. How 
how kings are battling. Yosef was a king, and Yehuda, Yehuda we know, was the Malchus came from Yehuda. So the battle royale, if you will, between Yehuda and Yosef represented these two streams of royalty that sometime with friction battle it out. Yet Vayigash also means reapproachment. It means to approach for Milchama Chazal, say Vayigash could either mean for battle, it could mean for prayer and appeasement, it could mean for tefillah. Reapproachment. So the Vayigash of Yehuda was both. Chazal say was all three really. But the Orachim HaKadosh brings down a very interesting idea. He says that Yehuda, because Yehuda wanted that Yosef should listen to him, he didn't know at the time that it was Yosef, he says, I'm going to approach him in love. Because if you approach someone else with love, he is forced to love you. If you approach someone else with hatred, he reflects your emotions, and therefore, he deals with you in a similar fashion, confrontational. But if you approach with love, then the other person automatically mirrors that same love. Therefore, Yehuda, Yehuda says, I'm going to approach him with love and force him to love me. And you know something? Yehuda was right. Because the same expression that's used to refer to this approachment, Yehuda, finds its fulfillment that after Yosef page 111 come close to me approach me and that's when Yosef says I am Yosef your brother so therefore the finds its mirroring with Yosef's there was a reapproachment. In fact, Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld brings down from the Vilna Gain a similar idea that if you that if you want to come to friendship with someone, be Dan look for his virtues, don't look at his faults, and you will force the emotion of love to surge between the two of them. And where do we find this? We find this even between Yaakov and Esau. How do we find this with Yaakov and Esau? In the beginning of Parshas by Yishlach, Yaakov sends messengers to Esau, and he discovers the messengers come back saying that he's acting like Esau. He's out to kill you. He's coming to you with 400 generals, 400 soldiers, and he intends to kill you. Vayiro Yaakov Mal, Yaakov was very scared. Esav was coming with the intent to totally wipe out and destroy the entire household of Yaakov. Yet we find that was not the result. What happened? How come Esav had a completely opposite emotion? If you look on page 80, Pasig Gimel, Pasig Gimel, but there's a part that comes before that. Who of our name Yaakov goes in front, 
Vaishtahu Artso Sheva Poomin. And he bowed down to him seven times. Says Rabbi Yisrael Chaim Zonfeld that what he was trying to do was practice this what we were discussing. I'm going to look at Esav to love him. And seven times he bowed down thinking of the virtues of Esav to try to approach him and then re-approachment like a brother. And that's why the Pasuk says Ad Gishto Ad Ochim till he approached him and came near to the point of brotherhood. Ad Gishtoi Ad Ochim it was the same Vayigash. It was the same as the Vayigash I love Yehuda, which, which provoked a Gishu no Eli Vayigashu. Likewise, Vayishtachu Artso Sheva Poomim Ad Gishto Ad Ochim. So he was able to, Gishto is the same root of Vayigash, Ad Ochim to the point of brotherhood. What was the response? Vayorot Esav Likrosoi Vayichabkeyu they met, they embraced, he kissed them, and he cried. And Rashi says, one shot, why are there dots on the Vaishokeu? We know that Esau generally, consistently, hates Yaakov. But what happened? All of a sudden, this is an exception to the rule. At that moment of meeting, his feelings of love overcame him, and he kissed him with a full heart. How did that happen? All of a sudden, halacha, that Esau hates Yaakov generally. But this was an exception. He was overwhelmed with feelings of love to Yaakov, and he kissed him with a full heart. That kiss was forced out of Esau by love. The love of Yaakov to Esau, Ad Gishtoi, Ad Ochiv, forces a similar response, a mirror response, where Esau must love Yaakov. And therefore Yehuda, facing his adversary, not knowing who that adversary was, says, if it worked for my father, Yaakov, Ad Gishtoi, Ad Ochiv, I'm going to do the same with him, Vayigash, I love Yehuda. And therefore Yehuda makes the same attempt and Gishuno lies the response by Goshu. <coughs> so therefore, expression love conquers all. The problem of course is the problem of course is that we get mixed messages on how to deal with situations. On the one hand, we see from this Parsha, and we see the, the disastrous effects of sibling rivalry that course through history and affect Klal Yisrael. And therefore, the sibling rivalry, Yosef and his brothers, even in later history, the tribe of Yosef causes the rupture, causes the breakup of the Jewish of the Jewish kingdom into two kingdoms of Yehuda and Yisrael, something which has never been healed. And we're plagued to this day, we're plagued to this day with this rupture. Actually if you trace if you trace the line of 
all of this that is happening, what you see is the following. It begins with Yosef and his brethren. It then goes, it then goes into Golis Mitzrayim itself. In Golis Mitzrayim, there's much discussion amongst the Mephorshim. What was Golis Mitzrayim on account of? Why was there Golis Mitzrayim? So there's much discussion as to what sins caused Golis Mitzrayim. The Barbanel says a very simple one. The Barbanel says the sin that brought about Golis Mitzrayim was the sin of the sale of Yosef by his brothers. And therefore he says, the Abarbanel says that the sale of Yosef by his brothers was a sin of such great magnitude and such great deserving of punishment that they went into Golis and Mitzrayim, neither connected neither because they sold Yosef as a slave in Egypt. And throughout, throughout history, some of the sins that became apparent then required atonement. The, the goat of Yom Kippur mirrors the goat that they, that they slaughtered to dip the blood, to dip the cloak in that blood. Rabbi Chanel Wasserman, interestingly enough, says, why is it that throughout the Middle Ages the Jews were plagued with the blood libel? Something which is so obviously foreign to Jews, Jews don't drink any blood, they, they abhor blood. The, how come that this particular um, this particular slander against the Jews had legs and it was constantly recurring? He said because the first blood libel began with Acha Yosef when they took the blood of the goat and they and they dipped the cloak into it and they showed it to their father and said, "What is this Torah Torah Yosef?" And therefore we've been plagued with blood libels. But in a in a deeper sense. The sibling rivalry has also been something which has been with us. Abarbanel says that was the direct cause for the ghosts in Egypt, the sale of Yosef to his brothers. Actually, there's a medrash that sort of says along those lines as well. If you look again on page on page 129. When Moshe Rabbeinu goes out amongst his brothers and he sees two Jews fighting. They're fighting. And Moshe says, Why are you raising your hand to strike your fellow Jew? Why are you striking a fellow Jew? And in the next Pasuk, when they rebuked him, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Vayira Moshe. Moshe becomes scared by Yomer and he says, by Yomer and he says, Ochein, no dahadovar. Now the matter will be known. It should really say, Yivodahadovar. That the matter of Moshe Rabbeinu killing the Egyptian will now become known to Paro. Ochein, no dahadovar connotes past tense as well. Says Rashi. And it's really a medrash. Why was Moshe Rabbeinu scared? He was afraid that he saw that Jews were wicked, fighting with each other, speaking Lashon Hara. 
He says if that's the case, maybe they don't deserve redemption. They deserve to be in Golis. Ochein noda hadover, says the Medrash. Now I know why Jews are in Golis. The Medrash says that Moshe Rabbeinu was maharir. He was, he was sort of, had doubts. Why are Jews persecuted so much? Why are Jews in Golis more than others? I finally now know the answer to that which has always bothered me. What is the sin of the Jews? That they should be enslaved and they should be in exile and they should be persecuted. I see that they bring it upon themselves, they deserve it. Medrash says, on account of the Lashon Hara, on account of the internal strife and the bickering, in other words, when you have Shnei Ivrim, when you have Shnei Anoshim Ivrim Nitzim, you have two Jews fighting, we now know why we're in exile. So therefore what you see is that the sin of Yosef and his brothers was never completely healed. And it finds its way into Golis Mitzrayim, we see in this week's Haftorah, the breakup the rupture of the Jewish kingdom also in a sense results from the rivalry that never was healed and that never got healed. We know in the story of Hanukkah we know in the story of Hanukkah that the Jews regained their empire regained their kingdom in the story of Hanukkah only to lose it several generations later on account of civil war the, the great-grandchildren of the original Hashmanoim fought over the ascension to the throne and to, and to um, mediate, they brought in the Romans. They asked the Romans to come in, and the Romans came in, and they never left. They brought the Romans in. Pompey and Caesar took sides in the sibling rivalry between the Chashmenoi, 8 o'clock. Pompey took one side. Julius Caesar took the other side. And in, I think it was 63 BCE, Pompey marches into Yerushalayim, never to leave. We brought in the Romans. Ramban brings it down in the beginning of Parshas Vayishlach. He brings it down in Parshas Bukhukosai. How we were the cause of our own downfall. Chazal say, the second base of Nikdash was destroyed. Why? The second base of Migdash was destroyed with the sin of Sinas Chinam. Do you need a paper? Chazal say that the second base of Migdash's destruction was the sin of Sinas Chinam. And Sinas Chinam has to be understood in a much broader sense than it's generally understood. It doesn't mean that they harbored ill will towards one another. It degenerated. It deteriorated much beyond that. There were factions amongst the Jewish people. There was factionalism. And some of it was motivated by, by possibly, you know, good, good criticisms that degenerated. The Nitziv says in Parshas Hazinu, Nitziv says in his Hagdama to Bereshis, how when a Jew didn't like what another Jew was doing, he would call him a Sadducee, he'd call him an Apikiris, and it would lead to hatred, and hatred leads to war, and it easily deteriorates. And therefore the Sinas Chinam of factionalism amongst the Jews led to out-and-out hatred and civil war. And of course we know the result. The civil war, they brought the Romans in, 
to to uh, mediate the civil war, to decide, to, to judge it, and ultimately that brought about the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash all on account of sinas chinam. Furthermore, in a kind of a mystical connection, Rebbeinu B'chaim says in, in Parshas Miketz and again in Parshas Vayechi, he repeats the idea that we all know on Yom Kippur and on Tisha B'av, we say the Kino, Arzei HaLavonam, we talk about the Asar Harugei Malchus, the ten martyrs. The ten martyrs, Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel in one generation, Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues in the next generation, all killed by the Romans in the most cruel, horrible fashion. And in the Medrash of the Asar Harugei Malchus, as well as the Kina seems to say, this was supposed to be something as a kind of atonement for the sale of Yosef by the ten brothers. And the ten Asar Harugei Malchus suffered on account of the ten brothers that sold Yosef into slavery. Exactly what the connection is. When you read the Kina, it seems like a forced connection. It's very contrived. It's just the Romans' way of trying to, uh, to kill the Jews. But yet, even in the Kinan, the Medrash, it implies that this was a decree, was a decree from on high by Hashem for some reason or other. And the Mukubalim, the Mukubalim explained the mystical connection. They say, yes, there was still something there that resonated through all the generations. And to a certain de- degree, the Asar Harugei Malchus, these great righteous individuals, suffered a process of torture and death as a form of atonement from the sin of the sale of Yosef, which was never fully cleansed, never fully atoned. Ben Bechai has long arichas on that, about how the sin wasn't quite forgiven. Even later on, we find that the brothers in Parshat Vayechi asked Yosef for forgiveness. It sounds like he forgave him, but you never find over there the expression that he actually did forgive them. The sin was always there as a blot in Jewish history. But in a much broader sense, what you see is the following that the sin of, of sibling rivalry and brotherly hatred and sin aschinam, which began by Yosef, never was fully fixed up, ultimately leading to Asar Harugei Malchus. What does that mean? What that really means is that the Asar Harugei Malchus was the last act of the destruction of the Second Temple. Because after the Second Base of Mignus was destroyed by the Romans, and 60 years later, when the Jews led a revolt under Bar Kokhba, in the aftermath of the, of the um, loss of that war, were these Roman persecutions, this was the final seal on the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. What Chazal, therefore, are telling us is that all the persecutions, from the very beginning of the first Golos in Mitzrayim, to the exile of the ten tribes and the weakening of the Jewish national... Uh, homeland under, between Yehuda and Yisrael, all the way to the destruction of the second base in English, which resulted from Sinas Chinam, and resulted from the civil war amongst the brothers that brought the Romans in, all the way to the Asar Harugei Malchus, and the massacre at Betar, all of that could be traced back to the first sin of, of Ache Yosef to Yosef. The Barbanel says it regarding Golos Mitzrayim, Chazal say it regarding Sinas Sinas Chinam being the cause of the second base of Migdash. 
and the Mekubalim say regarding the Asar Harugay Malchus, it's all one thread that weaves and connects all of these things together. The question though becomes, the question becomes, so what do we do? On the one hand, on the one hand we know that the message of Purim, one of the messages of Purim, is the same message as the unity amongst Jews. Leich Kinois is kol Gather the Jews together. Rabbi Chaim Shmulevit says that the reason why there's a mitzvah of Mishalach Monos on Purim, which is to promote friendship, is because that's one of the major themes of Purim. One of the major themes of Purim is Leich Kinois is kol Jews should come together. Therefore, there's a unique mitzvah given on Purim, Shalach Monos, which is just to promote friendship. We also know that Purim was a time of Kimu Kiblu. It was a reacceptance of the Torah, Chazal say, more on Shabbos, sure most of you still remember it, that Purim was the time of when the of when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the Torah, and we reaccepted it, Kimu Kiblu HaYehudim, they reaccepted the Torah. And therefore, as we find a theme in general, for the giving of the Torah, that a prerequisite, a tenai, if you will, for the acceptance of the Torah is unity amongst the Jews. The the Gemara, the Mishnah, and the Sechtas Der Zuta, in a parak that's entitled Shalom, that talks about peace, says that without Shalom, we can't have the Torah. And therefore, most of you are familiar with um, with the pasuk that says. Where the Pasuk over there says, and the Gemara comments, throughout all of the travels of the Jews, it always talks about plural, in the plural form. They travel, they, they encamp. Here is the only place where it repeats it. And obviously it's repeating it for a drusha because it already says in the beginning of the Pasuk, They encamped in the desert. But then it repeats it again, And Israel encamped there opposite the mountain. Vayichan. Vayichan is singular. Why repeat it? Because it tells us the lesson that it's that they were united. And the way the Gemara says it, says it even much stronger. It says, oh, the Jews are finally together, now's a good time to give them the Torah, when else can I give them the Torah? It's not often that the Jews are together. It's not often that the Jews are united. Now that they're united, I'll give them the Torah. In other words, a prerequisite for the acceptance of the Torah, for the giving of the Torah, is that if we come to Har Sinai, it has to be Vayichan Shom Yisrael Neged Ahar, Jews have to be together as one. Interestingly enough, this is the mountain, the mountain of God that, I, that Moshe Rabbeinu was told by Hashem in that vision, bring the Jews here to worship me. And that was the mountain that Moshe and Aaron met and kissed. And we said earlier the Medrash about that this was a cosmic meeting of Chesed and Emes, Tzedek and Shalom. And what does the Pasik say over there? They met Vayikesheu Bahar Elohim. They met in the Har Elohim, in the mountain of God, this is referring to this mountain, Vayishaklo, 
they embraced, they kissed by the mountain of Hashem. This is the mountain that Hashem says, bring the Jews to receive the Torah. But they will also have to receive the Torah in a form of embrace and a kiss. It will have to be Jews united. If the Jews are united, as one in perfect brotherhood, Hashem says, I could give them the Torah. Because the giving of the Torah likewise is It's Hashem's kiss to us as well as His marriage. It's like a chuppah. We know Har Sinai was held up like a chuppah. So therefore it's a prerequisite for Kabbalah's HaTorah. You have to have a coming together of the Jews like Moshe and Aaron. It has to be a Vayishaklo. It has to be a Vayicha Yisrael Neged Hor. Kishachot Bulevechot. And as the Gemara says in the Sechus Der now that they're together, I could finally give them the Torah. Otherwise, I can't give them the Torah. Who knows what else this will ever happen? On Purim was again a Leich Kinois as Kol Yehudim was a uniting of the Jews, and we were given as a symbol of that unity the mitzvah of Shlachmanus. Jews came together, and therefore there was another king of the Kiblu. There was another Kabbalah Satara. What about Hanukkah? We just passed Hanukkah. Hanukkah, on the other hand, sends us a mixed message. What's the mixed message of Hanukkah? So let's take a look. We have in Parshas Baal Oscha, on page 357, Tell Aaron, Aaron, as we see, is really the symbol of Shalom. The Oev Sholom and the Rodev Sholom. And as the Tanchuma says, Aaron is the one that represents the Sholom, quoting the Pasik, the Sholom of Mishor Holach, Iti, referring to, uh, to Aaron. So Aaron is told, light the Neros, El Mul with the wicks all facing the center stem, Yoiru Shivas Haneros, Bayas Kain Aaron. That's what Aaron did. The menorah amongst the implements of the of the Mishkan was unique that it had to be one solid piece. Again, it repeats it. Miksha, it has to be one solid piece. Explains this forno. What is the symbol of the menorah? If you look on the bottom. If you look on the bottom. Baaloschos haneros kishetablik ashesh haneros says the sforno el mul pnei amenorah shehu akonu and soy they should all face the middle v'zeh kishetifne shall heves kol echod me ashish haneros al akonu and soy if they all properly face the center or the yiru shivas haneros then they will all give light namely they will fulfill their function of bringing the divine light to the world. The divine light will then emanate from the menorah and will come down to all of the Jewish people. And this is symbolic of the following message, that the light of those that are on the right side, in other words, the right-wingers, and the light of those that are on the left, namely the left-wingers, in other words, the menorah has a center stem, and there are three on the right, three on the left. And both the right and the left face the middle. So the light of those that are on the right wing and those that are on the left wing of the menorah 
should all face Poinel or Kono and Soy should face the middle. Says this Sforno, and what you've already thought about from the way I said it is exactly what the Sforno says. And this is the way it should be. That those people that sit and learn Torah, what we nowadays refer to as black hatters and right wingers and kolo people who spend their lives being involved in Torah study, and masmilin, those that are on the left, those are what we refer to nowadays as balabatim, right? That are involved in in the daily workday, who go and help support those on the right, there should be this kind of a unity. And he quotes the Gemara in Chulun that says, where the Gemara says, in effect, that the right-wingers should daven on behalf of the left-wingers, which in effect means that those that sit and learn Torah should daven on behalf of the rest of the Jews as well. Because as the expression goes, if not for the leaves, there would be no grapes. The leaves preserve the grapes. So if you want the wine of Torah, if you want the, if you want the wine of Torah, if you want the wine of Torah to have kiyum, to have, to have, uh, to be maintained and to be preserved, you have to preserve it by having the leaves there, and the leaves are representing those that are not involved in the Torah study per se, but are involved in the daily life of things. Those are the leaves that preserve the wine. And through that, through the combined effort, this together, when they're joined as one, will bring out the grace and will of Hashem, and as a result of the combined joint effort of all of Jewry, of all factions of Jewry, if it's together, all of them, they can then exalt Hashem together. Just like, and he makes the same comparison, the same way they receive the Torah. In other words, he's saying that to fulfill the will of Hashem, it has to come about it has to come about when there's unity amongst all the different factions of the Jewish people. When there's unity amongst all the factions, then and only then could the will of Hashem be fulfilled. And he points out the following. Just like by Kabbalah Satara, which we explained earlier, required unity. And more than that, not only did the Kabbalah Satara require unity to receive the Jew to keep all 613 mitzvahs, the 613 mitzvahs, the totality of the Torah, was given as a unity and as a unit to Klal Yisrael if they're united. The will of Hashem could only be fulfilled in unison. And therefore, when they received the Torah, they answered Nasev and Nishma in unison. Kasher heyid bo'omro vayanu kolo om yachdov vayomu Hashem nasa. They said in unison, Nasev and Nishma. But it means more than just acceptance. It means to fulfill it. No Jew on his own could fulfill the entire Torah. Therefore, it's impossible for any individual Jew to fulfill the will of God. The will of God could only be fulfilled with all of us combined. Only 
only where it's only where it's vayanu kolom if all the people respond in unison, only then can you say bein kulonu nasa. Through all of us, we could do the will of Hashem. So the will of Hashem could only come if those on the right side of the menorah, those on the left side of the menorah, join together with the desire to fulfill the will of God. He furthermore says this is the same theme in why the menorah has to be miksha, why the menorah has to be one solid piece. Just like the lighting of the menorah has this theme, the fact that the menorah has to be mixed shows the same idea. That has to be one solid piece. So therefore, clearly, the example of the menorah, like Kabbalah Satar and Har Sinai, like we said Purim, the underlying theme is miksha, it's unity, it's oneness, it's achdus. So therefore we see that the menorah and Aaron, who is the Oev Shalom and Rodev Shalom, to a certain extent, represents the same idea. You need achdus. Yet, we know that Hanukkah carries an opposite theme as well. And we find we find, although this is a major dilemma that we're faced with constantly, when does one stand up for principle even at the, at the expense of unity? And when does one make compromise? And when is one tolerant and flexible and compromising in order to promote unity? When is the banner a banner of unity? And when is it truth <laughs> at all costs? We know that the Levian, the Levian by the ego, we're told by Moshe Rabbeinu, kill your brothers. That's exactly what the Pasuk says. Moshe Rabbeinu says, page 215, And all the Bnei Levi come to him. Says Moshe, Take a sword, gird yourself with swords. Kill your brothers. The Ishes Reyeu, kill your friends. The Ishes Krovo, kill your relatives. I mean, I'm giving you the unvarnished version of what he's saying. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. He says, kill your brothers, kill your friends, kill your relatives. They only killed 3,000 people. Wasn't they go went around killing everybody? The guilty people. But the point is, don't look at the fact that they're close to you. Milu yetchem hayom, ki ish this day will be for you a blessing. We know that in Parshas Osa Bracha, when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe Rabbeinu praises Shevet Levi and gives them the Bracha, why does he give them the Bracha? He showed no favoritism to his brothers. So therefore we see that Shevet Levi, there were times that you have to kill, and there are times that, that you have values that are greater than unity, although unity is an important value. So we find Kanois is a major theme in Hanukkah. We say in the Alanisim, Zaydin biad oskei sarasecha. Zaydin biad oskei sarasecha does not mean that the Jews fought off the Greeks. It means that the Jews fought against their fellow Jew Hellenists. 
They fell in battle. The war, the war was an act of Kanois. We know that Pinchas, Pinchas also did an act of Kanois. And that's what saved the Jewish people. So there are times that call for unity. There are times that call for Kanois, even though it leads to disunity. So how does one tell the difference? Which banner does one go under? Is it the banner of unity or the banner of truth? So the Chassam Seifer gives a very, a very easy way of deciding what you do and when you do it. For my brother, for the sake of my brother and my friend, I will speak, I will speak peace, Shalom. For the sake of the house of our Lord, I will seek goodness for you. Says the Chassam Soifer, when it comes to matters of Ben Odom L'Chavero, when it comes to personal matters, when it comes for the sake of brotherhood, somebody insults you, someone embarrasses you, someone harms you, someone wrongs you, Shalom is the banner. We raise the banner of Shalom as being the primary one. You know what? Let it ride. Don't be insulted. Don't let it bother you. Sit with it. Tolerate it. That's when we advocate tolerance. We advocate tolerance when it's a personal wrong and someone hurts you. Then the banner is one of Shalom. Laman Shalom When it's Laman Beis Hashem Elokeinu when it's in the matters of building the Beis Hamikdash, when it's in the matter of building and 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 bringing kedushin to Klal Yisrael, when it's Laman Beis Hashem Elokeinu, then the banner is not one of Shalom, but it's Avak Shatov I look for what's good, what's right. Tov, Tov. We know that sometimes not everybody knows if what's good for them is that which they want. An Azer Kenegdo, a wife is supposed to be an Azer Kenegdo. Sometimes Azer, sometimes Kinegdo. A true Azer, Zoha. If you're merited, then the Azer is an Azer, and even the Kinegdo is for your benefit. It's good for you. Lo Zoha, if you don't merit, in other words, if it's done wrong, then the Azer becomes a Kinegdo also. We don't know what's good. So the banner of Tov is sometimes held with primacy, and sometimes it's Shalom. We know that Kedusha, the essence of Kedusha and Tara is separation. Kedoshin to you, Prushin. Kedoshin means to be separate, to be apart. Kedusha requires Havdalah, to break apart. What the Yivonim, the Greeks, wanted to do is they wanted to contaminate and pollute Klal Yisrael by assimilating Judaism into their great culture. They wanted to make a Nirvuvia, a Hisboyus, they wanted to mix and bring in and integrate. And then the Hashmanoim battled for Kedusha. Kedusha requires separation. They broke down the walls and they had to re-cleanse it and rebuild the walls, the barriers that exist, the Havdolah. The Mandeis Hashem, to make a Chanukah, to make a rebuilding of the Temple, a rededication, sometimes requires, requires warfare as well. So therefore, if the person does it right, then the same Levim and the Kohanim that battled in Hanukkah and battled by the Ego, 
become the teachers of Klal Yisrael. The Kohanim are the ones that bless Klal Yisrael on a daily basis with the Brach of Shalom. Birchas Kohanim is the Brach of Yosein Lucha Shalom. And it's a Brach that, that in the Brach itself, the Vareches Amo Yisrael Ba'ahavo. Nowhere else do you find Ahavo as being a crucial component of, a, of, of making a Brach. But the, the Mitzvah Birchas Kohanim requires Ahavo. The Vareches Amo Yisrael Ba'ahavo. Same Kohanim that battled with an act of Kanois, the whole war of Hanukkah came about through an act of Kanois, where Matasio gets up and kills a Jew for eating treif. He ate treif, he does an act of Kanois, but it's Laman Beis Hashem I broke no compromise then, even though you're my brother, you're my friend, you're my relative, I have to make a stand. And the war of Hanukkah begins with an act of Kedusha and Tara. And therefore, even at the expense of Shalom. But ultimately, the Kohanim are really the bearers of the Av and the Shalom. Pinchas, who does this act of Kanois, is rewarded with Hinini Noisen Lebris Shalom. He's given the covenant of Shalom. He does an act of Kanois, he's rewarded with Shalom. However, we have to always bear in mind the great danger of this approach. Although it's true that Shalom, that, that certain times demands you have to be both sides. In fact, the Ksav Seifer points out, uh, from, I think it's Isiantan, Ksav Seifer and Pashas Emor, says that Aaron was both. Aaron was an Oev Shalom, he loved peace, but he also wrote a shalom. Rodev means chase away peace. Not Rodev Achar Shalom, where he pursues peace, but he's a Rodev Shalom, he's a Rodev of Shalom. He did both. He was an Oyev Shalom and a Rodev Shalom. But the danger is, it could easily deteriorate and degenerate into other forms of hatred. Aaron had to be repeated again, Oyev Shalom, Rodev Shalom, Oyev Sabrius. By nature, you have to be an Oyev Sabrius. One of the shatim that many of the Mepharshim say why Hashem gives Pinchas a bris shalom is to restore the balance and the equilibrium because he does an act of kanois and vengeance. He seethes and rages and he can become a wrathful person. Hashem has to give him an extra measure of shalom because it could easily deteriorate. Most of you maybe that learned Dafyomi still remember the Taisus and Psach Kufyud Gimelom is not that long ago, what is it there? Less than two weeks? No, about two weeks ago. Approximately two weeks ago. What? Ah, of course you remember. Over there, Tysus brings down that there's a mitzvah to hate a Jew that sins. Yet, the Gemara in Bav Metziah, Lama Dei, says, Ohev Lisno, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Ohev Lithrok, Visone Liton, you go to your enemy first, in order that you should conquer your Yetzirah. Taisa asks Akasha, why should you give precedence to conquer Yetzirah? What conquest of Yetzirah is there? After all, this is the person that you're commanded to hate. Says Taisa, yeah, but we know what happens to hatred. We said earlier, if you want to show love, love the other person, it'll promote love. But if you start hating him even for the best of reasons, 
it's going to deteriorate because he's going to hate you back and you're going to hate him. And before you know it, it degenerates immediately into bad hatred and therefore you have to conquer that. Pinchas requires a Vrishalom that although he did a mitzvah, it shouldn't stay with him. It shouldn't be a kanoi and carry through life with him. The, the Gemara, at the end of Saita, when it describes the Gemara Babakama, when it describes the war between the household of the Hashemnoim that brought in the Romans, we know that they, they became Tzedukim themselves, they became Sadducees. In other words, the Hashemnoim in one generation fought for the purity of Judaism. Yet, two generations later, their descendants became Sadducees, they joined the opposition, and two generations after that, there's already fighting and warfare amongst themselves, and they already bring in the, the, the Romans, and it already leads to destruction. So the Kanois of Hanukkah builds a base of Mikdash. It rededicates it, makes a Hanukkah. So their Kanois builds a base of Mikdash, but it immediately and very rapidly deteriorates to where they become destroyers of the base of Mikdash. The Chorban comes from that. Hordus, Hordus kills the descendants of the household of the Hashem A couple generations later, the Romans are there. They destroy, they destroy the Jewish people. They destroy the base of Migdash. So whereas good Kanois is able to build the base of Migdash, it rapidly could deteriorate into a bad form of Kanois that leads to Chorban, to Chorban base of Migdash. So what we have really is that if you trace the line from Yosef and his brothers to the Golos in Mitzrayim to the breakup of the kingdom of Israel and Judea to the war between the Hashminoi brothers to the Sinas Chinam that leads to the destruction of the second base of Mikdash to the Asor Haruge Malchus at Beta it's all one common thread one common theme yet when there's unity there's Kabbalah Satora. And once there's Kabbalah Satora, there's brotherhood, and there's Shechina, and there's Beis Amikdash. We know as well, we know as well that the Beis Amikdash also has to be built with the theme of Achtus and Sholom amongst brothers. Shlomo Melech was the builder of the Beis Amikdash because like his name implies, he was an Ish Sholom, a man of peace. We know that his father David, although he did only mitzvahs except for a failing which he was forgiven for, but he wasn't allowed to build the base of Migdash because to build the base of Migdash you have to be a man of peace, not a man of war. And therefore Hashem says, you shed too much blood, you're a warrior, a tzaddik, no question, but you're a warrior. And a warrior doesn't build the base of Migdash. Only a man of peace builds the base of Mikdash, and that was, of course, Shlomo Melech who built the base of Mikdash. The Kruven that Shlomo Melech built, that Shlomo Melech constructed in the Kodesh Kedoshim, in addition to the Kruven that was on the altar, was Kemar Ishulavoyos, was locked in the embrace between a husband and wife. And we know that the Kruven, as mentioned over here, was Pneim Ishalochim, was an embrace between brothers. These two kinds of embrace between husband and wife and between two brothers are, are really symbolized in the Kodesh Kedoshim itself 
by the crew. And as long as there's unity amongst Jews, they face each other. And Shlomo Melech, the man of Sholem, had to build it. The Beis Hamikdash, the Beis Hamikdash, was also built. Was also built with no metal implements. We have a mitzvah in the Beis Hamikdash regarding the mitzvah. At least is the mitzvah where it says that there should not be any metal, any metal implements used in the construction, in the construction of the, of the mitzvah. You can't build it with metal. Metal is war. Metal is to break. The word cheref is the same word as chorban. A chorban, chorban is destruction. That's cheref. The mizbech is the opposite. It's chibor. It's a play on words, really. Spell the word slightly differently. You change the ratio in the bays, you get cherev and chorban, as opposed to chaver and chibor, to connect, to join. A cherev therefore breaks, and therefore you can't have that on the mizbeach, which is there to unite and to connect. Shlomo Melech took this a step further. It says that in the construction of the Beis Amigdash, no metal implements were heard throughout the entire construction. He didn't want any of this kind of, of cherev of uh, disunity involved. So therefore, when there's unity, and when the base of Mikdash is properly built, then you have unity amongst the Jews. It leads to Geula, like Knesset Kol Yehudim. It leads to Yeshua, like by Purim. It leads to the kingdom of the Jews, Malchus Yisrael. You get the Torah. There's a base of Mikdash built. There's Shechina. There's Nuvua. If you want to know why an Egyptian beats a Jew, Moshe Rabbeinu says, why are the Egyptians beating Jews? Look a little further and you'll see that Jews are beating Jews. If an Egyptian beats a Jew, it's only because Jews are beating upon each other as well. Let's take a look now at the following. The Kliyokr says in Parshas Vayetze, Parshas Vayetze, Yaakov is going out on his long goals, and he comes to the spot which later is going to subsequently be the spot of where the Beis Amigdash is to be built. Interestingly enough, many of you are familiar with the, with the Medrash about the story of the two brothers. The two brothers, one was um, with many children, the other was not married and childless, and each one was concerned over his brother that the childless one was concerned that my brother has so many children he needs more, a greater parnasa. The one with many children was concerned, oh, my brother in his old age is not going to have any children to take care of him, to look after him. And therefore each one would secretly at night carry over grain from their property to the other side. And one night they met in the middle and they saw what each one was doing and they locked and embraced and they kissed each other. And Hashem says that will be the spot of the Beis HaMikdash. So we see again how the Beis HaMikdash has to be built at a spot that represents brotherhood and represents the Vayif Kesheu Vayishaklo. It has to be the kiss and the embrace 
of brothers coming together. Just like Har Elokim, just like Har Sinai is a place of Vayikesheu Har Elokim Vayishaklo, likewise the Mokam HaMikdosh, the Mokam HaMikdosh has to be also likewise in the spot of where two brothers come together, Vayishak, and they come together in embrace and in kissing. There's an interesting connection between the two. The Ramban says that the reason why we have a mitzvah to build a base on Mikdash is because the Orna Kodesh that carries, that contains the Luchos represents a portable Harsinai that goes with us. The place of the Luchos and the Oran where the Shekhinah speaks to us and the Shekhinah emanates from that point and the Vua comes to us from that spot in a way is a Zer Antin, is a small miniature of Harsinai that Hashem descended and spoke to us from there. So the Beis HaMikdash actually represents a miniature portable Har Sinai. And therefore the same requirements that we find by Har Sinai, we're going to find at Har Abayis. And therefore if unity in Achtus is a value that has to be a prerequisite for Kabbalah Satara, it's going to be a prerequisite for the Binyan Beis HaMikdash as well, as well as the Shechina coming down. And therefore the same way you have two brothers, by Yukashayu Har Elokim, by Yishaklo, you have it in Har Sinai, Har Elokim, as well as Harabais. So we know that Yaakov comes to that spot. And it says that he took stones to lay down upon. And all night long the stones were quarreling. I want the tzaddik to place his head upon me. I want his head to be on me. And Hashem miraculously makes the stones become one. It's a story that many of you probably heard from your children if you don't remember it from your youth. Children will all come home with that story that they learned in Cheder. That Hashem miraculously brings the stones together because they were quarreling. What is the symbolism of the story? What is the message of the Medrash? Zok the He took twelve stones, Keneged Yudbei Shvotim, corresponding to the twelve tribes. Kedisa B'Medrash. And they quarreled. Each one wanted Yaakov to rest on him. Till Hashem brings them together as one stone. In other words, throughout the Torah we find when Hashem speaks of the place that He will ultimately choose as the home of the abode of the Shekhinah, Hashem says, which I will eventually choose. The spot was never revealed in advance. Explains the Rambam, because if the Jews will go into Eretz Yisrael knowing that there's going to be one fixed location where the Shekhinah is going to be, everybody's going to fight over, I want that spot. Everybody wants the spot. So there will be fighting amongst all the Shvatim as to where the Shekhinah should be. As a result, Hashem kept it a secret saying, I'll eventually reveal the spot. The place that will ultimately be chosen. So throughout the Torah it's referred to as the location that's ultimately to be chosen. Now, with this idea, from the Kaimit HaMincha, you look at the piece right below the Koyimetz HaMincha. It's in next week's parasha. But over there we find that Yaakov 
wants to reveal Yaakov wants to reveal the future redemption the Kates Hagolus to the Jewish people so Yaakov says come together and I will reveal to you what's going to happen at the end of days he coughed to Vishimu Bnei Yaakov Vishimu El Yisrael Avicham, and then all of a sudden he goes off into a, into a, blessing, of the different brothers, each one his own blessing. Chazal say that Yaakov wanted to reveal the kates, the end, but the Shechina departed him and he wasn't able to. So, Shwab points out. If you want to know the kates, what's going to be a kates, there's only a kates if it's heyosfu, if you come together. He kofzu, the shimu b'nei Yaakov. Only when Jews unite and come together, only then is there a kates, only then is there an achus hayomim. If you want to know the key to when is there a kates, it was the style of the man who went away from him. But it wasn't. Yaakov ultimately did reveal the case to us. When is going to be the final ghoul of the final redemption? You know when? It's not up to me. It's Hikotsu and Heyosu. Come together, unite as one. You'll have the case. You'll have the ghoul. Leich Kinoisis Kola Yehudin. Come together. You'll have the case and you'll have the ghoul. The Beis Amigdash, as we said, could only be built, united amongst all of the Shvatim. We find that when Achav, in the days of Eliyahu Novi, he brought about tremendous, terrible, terrible things in Klal Yisrael, idol worship, on a massive scale. And as a result, Hashem punished them with a drought and a famine for several years. And Eliyahu Novi brings all of the different prophets of the Baal together in a great display at Har Carmel. And over there, it says, he makes an altar in the Baal, the Nevi'eh Baal, the prophets of the Baal make their altar, each one makes their own altar. He makes a moat around his altar, he soaks it with water, he prays to Hashem Aneini, Hashem Aneini, a fireball comes down, it consumes the carbon, it consumes the wood, it consumes the stone, and consumes the water as well. He drenches it with large barrels of water. And it all goes up in an instant fireball and the Jews then recognize Hashem who Elohim. But it says that in his, in his building of that Mizbeach, it says he took 12 stones and he built an altar. As we said earlier, the altar certainly has a mitzvah that no metal could be placed over. No cherev. An altar is chibor, a chaver. It's to unite Jews. Cherev is chorban, is the opposite. He says like this, El Yohanavi takes 12 stones, corresponding to Mispar Yudbei Shifte Yisrael, to show us that as long as the Mizbeach is uprooted and is destroyed, it's as long as the Jews have no unity amongst themselves. You have to bring the 12 stones together to make them into one, and that's the Ripuy HaMizbeach. It says over there, Vayirapes HaMizbeach, he healed the altar. To heal the altar, you have to heal the Jews and you have to bring about the, the coming together of the Jewish people. Likewise, Yaakov Avinu saw that only Achtus Yisrael 
he has to put his head on 12 stones that have to come together. That stone, when 12 stones can come together and become one stone, Yaakov takes it and anoints it as a matzeva for all time. This becomes the evidence you the foundation stone of the Beis Amigdash that the Beis Amigdash is built upon. As we said earlier, the spot of the Beis Amigdash, the location, like the location of Har Elokim, of the Kabbalah Satyra, is where you have when two brothers come together and they embrace and they kiss. The spot of the Beis Amigdash had the same prerequisites. It also had to be a spot, as we said in the story, the two brothers come together and they kiss. That's the Evan Shasia, the twelve stones coming together. The Koyach of Klal Yisrael and the Beis Amigdash is only when they're united through the Beis Amigdash. Machloikis destroyed and embittered Yaakov's last years. Now in the final days of Yaakov's life, when he's coming together and to give them a tzavah, to give them his last will and testament, Yaakov says to them, He remembered how he began his career running away, running away from his brother, and he had to place his head on a stone, and the twelve stones had to come together to become one. He says, ah, this is a matzeva. How have I that we could be like this? And now he goes through a long, bitter period of sibling rivalry, of lack of brotherhood, of disunity. And he sees what it leads to, as we said earlier. This leads to Golos, and he's going down into Egypt at the beginning of the Golos. We said earlier from the Abarbanel that Golos Mitzrayim was a punishment for Mechiras Yosef. So now he remembers that original stone, the stone that he had that grand dream upon. He placed under his head and he had that vision, and he had that vision of angels that foretells the future of Klal Yisrael. The great dream that Yaakov had was a dream of goals and redemption, but it's only when the stones come together to become one. Hey Osu. Hey Osu means in the future. They're all gathered around him already. He didn't have to say Hey Osu. He's saying a message for the future. My last will and testament is remember this for all eternity. Hey Osu, the And if you do that, I'll be able to tell you on Achris Yaman. In order that all the brachas should be fulfilled, it's only when the Jews come together. And therefore, each individual Jewish tribe, whether it's Yehuda Gurarye or Binyamin Zev Yitrof, has to be nourished from one another. They have to come together, otherwise there is no Hatzlochem. But coming together means, as we saw from the Sforno, El Mulpnei HaMenoro Yuiru Shibas Haneros, that they should all merge by facing the center stem by recognizing and realizing that they have one true goal, one true mission that unites them, whether it's Kabbalah Zatayra, Binyan Beis Migdash, that's what unites them. It's Miksha, but they all have to face the center stem. It's not a question of each one lighting their own light. It's not each one facing in their own direction. Each one breaking out for their own religious feelings in a kind of a pluralism of where anything goes and everything is accepted. It's unity. But unity doesn't mean a tolerance of every form of deviant behavior where each person does that which he wishes to do. Nowadays we're very forgiving on people's sins against God. On HaKadosh Baruch Hu's cheshben, everybody's willing to forgive, everyone's willing to be tolerant. If the President of the United States sins, the major theme in the synagogues this year in all of the conservative reform movement is forgiveness, to forgive. 
But you're forgiving on whose cheshben? You're forgiving sins against God. Says the Chassam Soifer, Shalom is a banner when it sins between man and fellow man. Yes, you should be forgiving, you should be foregoing, you should be tolerant, you should be soifer. Sins against God? Who are you to forgive? Luman Beis Hashem Elokeinu Avak Our mission, our task then is to look for the truth, to look for that which is good. We shouldn't forgive on God's cheshben.